Don't you love him? Has he been good to you? I wouldn't trade my experience, the good, the bad, the lonely, the difficult, the tough, the unexplainable, mysterious, the fearful, the days that I didn't know which way to go. I would not trade one of those things for a life of living in a world filled with sin, filled with no direction, no comfort, no peace of God that passes all understanding. As the old song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus' face. I'm so grateful that I know the King of Kings. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, the 58th verse, just one verse to begin tonight. Whatever this is going to be, a Bible study or something, something else. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 16. Fifteen, sorry, fifteen and fifty-eight. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. You may be seated. When a child is born and is in the mother's womb, by the way, it is not a fetus, it is a child. A fetus was a way to depersonalized that creation that was created by God. David said that he knew me before I was born. At the moment of inception, just checking around, make sure we're all adults. At the moment The egg and the sperm meet. That's a life. There's no debate in my mind one way or the other. It is no one's choice what to do with with that child because that child is not the mother's. It is not the father's. It is a unique individual created by God. The mother is a beautiful, wonderful thing. That is a female that can give birth. The Cambridge, uh, you talked about male. I didn't see that one, but I saw the Cambridge uh, Dictionary today decided to change the, the, uh, the definition of female. A female, I will tell you, I may not be as smart 
as the Columbia or the uh, Cambridge Dictionary claims, but I think probably everybody in this room is. But a female is someone who can give birth. That is opposite of a male who cannot give birth. And there's funny things out there called facts that you can politicize and you can, you can do whatever you want with it, but the facts still remain the truth. And that is that God created male and female. If you begin to really think about what's happening in this world today, and this has nothing to do with my message, this is free and it costs you nothing, is that God is trying to change, or the devil is trying to change the image of God's creation. And if he can change the image of God's creation in the minds of people that are feeble and, and are unlearned and are moved by the wokeness of mob and think mentality, then he has you right where you, he wants you to. Because if he can change the fundamental principle of the way you think about the very basis of creation, then he can put anything in your, your brain and, and cause you to believe. The Bible says in the last days, great delusion or great uh, darkness of understanding. I'm so glad I know the truth of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that, that we are to be uh, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. And so I wasn't intending to talk on this, but I'm going to stay here just for a second. This is for somebody right now. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. There is a, there is a, I believe it is the, um, um, bamboo tree. I believe it's the bamboo tree. Once it's planted, it does nothing. Correct me if I'm wrong out there. It does nothing for five years. Doesn't grow. It just sits there. And in a one year period, it can grow up to, I believe it's 50 feet. So that five-year period, there's something happening underneath the earth that we cannot see. But yet, in a year's time, that thing grows tremendously. Sometimes the work of God, we don't see what's happening underneath the surface. The root system is growing, or God has a plan where he's stabilizing, and his, his ways are perfect, confounding the wise. And so be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. And I believe the reason why the Lord told us those scriptures, and he told us in this scripture about that our labor is not in vain, is because there are times we do not see the works of our labors. And it's during those periods of times that we as human beings act like human beings. And that is that when you don't see it, everything in my life I can touch, feel, smell, and perceive. 
But when I don't feel it, I don't see it, I can't touch it, I can't smell it, I can't perceive it, then the only way that I know that something might be there is by my faith. And we live by faith. The Bible tells us that that we are justified by faith. That he said in the last days, will I find faith on the earth? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I, I've, I spoke this years and years ago, and, uh, and I think about this often, and it's of all my tragic sermons that I preach, that's uh, probably the one that's most, uh, most requested is the left hand of God where with his right hand, he just, he holds me and God does his miraculous works and we can see everything he does. But in the book of Solomon, his left hand is behind me and it holds my head up. And I can't see what he's doing back there, but behind the scenes, God, we know that he dwelleth according to Moses when he went up on the mountain. God was behind a thick cloud. And then we only saw a part of him. I didn't realize this until many years ago. I always thought that God is light and that he has always existed as light. But you look in scripture and it says that uh, in the beginning there was nothing. It was darkness. It was void. God existed in the darkness. He created light. But before there was light, God dwelt in darkness. So if you ever get discouraged in your life about the darkness that seems to overtake you, just remember that darkness is God's domain. Some of you have never heard that before. Darkness is God's domain. He created light, but before there was light, there was nothing. There was darkness. There was a void. But in it, God was complete and whole And when darkness comes your way, just remember that God is well acquainted with darkness. And you have no reason to doubt or discourage because your God dwells in darkness. He dwells in darkness. When we shall see him, he is seven times brighter than the sun. That is true. But before he was and who he is now, he was dwelling in darkness. So my friend today, I want to encourage you, do not be weary in well-doing. You may not see the results and it may seem like darkness is overcoming you uh, and just enveloping you, but just remember that darkness is where God does his best work. Darkness is where God does his, his best work because In darkness, God can do what he wants, what he wills without question, because in the light, just think about it. If God did everything in the light, there'd be half of us that would be complaining because he didn't do it exactly the way we felt like he wanted him to. But in darkness, we can't see it. And then one day it just happens. And it's because God works In the light and in the darkness, it doesn't matter. He just does all things according to his will. Tonight, I want to talk to you about uh, the root 
or the fruit. At about 10 weeks, 11 weeks old, in the womb, when God decides that this little child is going to be a boy, some very interesting things happen. Talk a little biology here to begin with, but I'm going somewhere, so hang on with me. At about 10 or 11 weeks, um, if it is uh, a boy, uh, the testes develop and that little boy's body begins to produce testosterone. Testosterone, obviously, we know it does things internally, externally, but it also rearranges the brain of that child. Um, For those of you that don't know this, but your brain is two different lobes. There's There's a left lobe and a right lobe, and then they are connected by, let's just say, neurocircuitry, or you could say network cabling would be the best way to describe it, but it's biological. And it allows me to do things like this. And if I were agile enough, I would jump up and kick both feet out like this and I could do it in sync because both halves of my brain are in sync because there there is wiring that allows both sides of my brain to coordinate. That's how I can move my head in sync with my body. That's how I can move my eyes in sync with each other. If you cut those wires, which those biological uh, connections, which Josef Mengele, who was an evil Nazi doctor, actually did this. He went in and cut those in surgeries, and people basically became two independent individuals who could not function in life. This hand didn't know what this hand was doing. This foot didn't know what that foot was doing. This eye didn't know what that eye was doing because there was no connection between the two. The facial muscles, one half did one thing, one half did the other thing. So you could uh, actually kind of be morbidly kind of curious because you could smile on this side and frown on that side. People would never know what you're thinking. But during this period of time, the bandwidth, do you all know what bandwidth is? All right, I'll tell you what bandwidth is. You go down a two-lane highway you go 55 miles an hour. You might get up to 60 and 70, but you're only going to have two two lanes, one going this way, one going this way. You have a four-lane highway, even if everybody's still going 55 miles an hour, you've got double the information going down that highway. You've got a six-lane highway, everybody's going 55 miles an hour, but you've got six lanes of traffic going one way or the other. That's bandwidth. Bandwidth is important because you can pass more information across a wire when there's more bandwidth. Well, here's what's interesting that happens to a baby child that is a, that is a boy is that that testosterone goes into his brain and it restructures the way his brain works and it reduces the bandwidth by about 50%. For those of you ladies that that, that feel like men are brain dead, now you have proof they are. Or brain damaged, I should say. But it actually is not, uh, it is not uh, a negative thing. It actually creates a difference 
in the way that men process information compared to women. There are some studies that say that men speak 10,000 words per day and women speak 25,000 words per day. And, uh, you know, whether or not all of that is exactly true, my experience is is that women tend to be uh, better communicators. It has been my experience in life that I rarely can win an argument with a woman in my life. Um, I do not have the capability of saying three different things in one sentence where my wife can. I do not have the ability to bring up something that happened three years ago and correlate it with an action that I just did, but my wife is quite capable of doing that. It has been proven that women can actually see micro-expressions on faces And so micro-expressions are like little twitches here and a little frown there. And we call it in women's intuition where they pick up things that men don't necessarily see. And it's not because they have ESP. It is because they tend to be, tend to be, a lot more observant than men do because they have bandwidth to process all that uh, micro-expressions across the faces of people. I have often come home and my wife has said, did you catch that? Did you hear that? Did you sense that? Sometimes the Holy Ghost helps me, but the biology of her brain helps her. So mine is spirit-led and hers is carnal. And if you think about it, the way that God designed the family unit is that women tend to be the caregivers of the children of the home. And if you have ever done any caregiving in your home, which many of you are parents, it is quite an undertaking because children have no agenda except but to deliver chaos and destruction and mayhem to the family and to the parents that bore them. And so it takes the mind of a woman, for the most part, uh, to handle all the organizational skills that are required to keep a family running. I was a single parent for about four years, uh, about 20-some years ago. After I went through a divorce, I got custody of my children. And my two uh, teenage daughters, bless their hearts, were stuck with a hapless, hapless, hopeless father who barely could remember to bring toilet paper home. I won't go into full details, but Melissa and I had uh, just began being friends, and one night at 10 o'clock at night, I heard from our, my ladies that they needed something in particular, and you can figure out what that is. And I said, well, just use Swiffers. You can wring them out and put water on it. And they called Melissa, and I got in a lot of trouble. And so as we process information, it is important that we realize that God created differences between men and women. 
Now, I'm going to focus on men just for a little bit because it's because of those differences that, one, men can be more single-minded. Can I get an amen from the ladies? That's a good thing because if you look at cities all around the world, who are the major people that build cities? Men. Who are the people that, you know, I I heard the other day a woman saying, you know, uh, women have been oppressed for so many years and it's just been horrible, the plight of women since the beginning of time. And so I began to listen to a psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson and he talked about more men have been killed in war. Most men live live less because of hard labor. Uh, Most men are prisoners of war. And the list goes on and on. It hasn't been an easy road for men in this, the history of this world either. And so one of the things that men struggle with, especially, uh, is the fact that because of that biological difference in them that starts in the womb, men's hearts are larger, their lung capacity is greater, Uh, Their blood pressure can go higher and faster. Uh, They escalate faster. They get mad faster. And there are reasons for that. Just think about um, a woman can de-escalate from anger a lot quicker overall. I have met some very angry women in my life that they are the exception. But for the most part, uh, women can de-escalate because they've got a family to take care of. If you think about men as... Uh, the protectors of the family and the hunter-gatherers, then it's probably a little bit better that that adrenaline stays higher, longer, and faster because they are attentive and they are protecting the home and they are hunting the wild boar or whatever it is that's going to end up on the dinner table that night. It's because of that reason that men tend to be known for more aggressive, violent behavior than women do overall. And I have met some very aggressive, aggressive, violent women. Another part of this is the fact that men tend to, again, have more issues with anger. Testosterone and adrenaline and the the fact that they escalate faster and harder uh, tends to... uh, give to them a broader perspective of all the elements of anger. So one of the things that I have watched and I observed on a daily basis is that men come into our facility that are broken and angry about life. Yes, women are too. This is, these are generalities that I'm talking about, not absolutes. Again, I've met very, very, very angry women. But tonight I want to talk to you about what is the difference between the root or the fruit. So if you would turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians tells us a story about it is important that we have an understanding about how our mind and our bodies work. 
uh, I did this uh, several years ago, a Bible study about the different stages of anger that people go through. The Bible talks to us about the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness is, a, is an important thing that we need to be very cautious about because the Bible gives us very stern warnings about the root of bitterness. Uh, I apologize, I took you to uh, Ephesians. I meant to go to Hebrews 12 and 15. Hebrews 12 and 15, it says, See that see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. Notice there it says many become defiled. The grace of God is different from the, the mercy of God. Mercy of God is his unmerited favor that is renewed every morning. But the grace of God, the Bible says he can give more or he can give less. So mercy is, is given freely, but grace, the Bible says, we gaineth and he giveth more, he giveth more grace to those that are humble. So if he can give more, then that means that there's a quantity that God can give out to each one of us. I don't know about you, but I need more of his grace and mercy. And to get that grace and mercy, I have to learn to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. One of the things and emotions that are very contrary to humility is anger. It is very hard to be a humble person if you're... If your life, your disposition is constantly filled with anger. I have asked many, many people uh, throughout the last 10 years that I've worked in the field of psychology, do you experience anger? Do you have a problem with anger? And their answer is, no, I don't yell, I don't scream, I don't, you know, shout at people. And then come to find out as I observe them over a few uh, weeks of time, they are the very description of anger that any encyclopedia or dictionary would tell you. And that's because anger does not always mean that we're flying off the handle, punching holes in the wall. Most of us have a vision of someone who is angry. They are that person that we can hear them vocally. We can see them visually. Their face is red and puffy and they're They're just giving it all they've got. But anger actually has many layers and levels to it. And I want to talk to you that a little bit tonight because many of you struggle with this root of bitterness, which we can tie very easily back to anger. And it's that anger that causes that our fruit would be defiled. The Bible tells us how she'll know that they are my disciples, by their love towards one another. And love is a fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control. How do you know you have a plum tree? Produces plums. How do you know you have a peach tree? Produces peaches. How do you know you have a child of God? Because they produce the fruits of the Spirit. And if their life is defiled by bitterness, then their fruit will be defiled. And the Bible says many 
many shall be defiled. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about stages of anger. If you're writing this down, number one, I want to talk about bothered. Bothered. Anything ever bother you? Good example that I often use is that gnat. You're at a picnic and that gnat keeps bothering you. It's just that little buzz. Timmy has this thing, and man, he's got me three or four times with it. He gets his fingers. I don't know if he's done it to you. I've been working on it for weeks, and I can't get it to work. But he gets his fingers just a little bit wet, and he'll come up behind you, and he'll go something like this, and it goes, and it sounds like there's a bee buzzing in your ear. I'm like, what? And it's him back there laughing and hee-hawing because he's figured out how to be annoying is what he's actually figured out how to do. (laughs) I can't get that thing to work, but it, it bothers us. That's why it's... He does it because it's funny and it's, it, it causes us to react because none of us, I don't know about you, but I don't like bugs getting near my ear hole. <laughs> Nothing goes in there except sound and maybe a wash rag here and there and maybe a Q-tip, which is really not supposed to go in there. But, man, I'm in there digging and trying to get that thing clean because I want my ears. My dad always used to say, you know, have clean underwear in case you have a wreck. But I've taken it a step farther. I want my ears to be clean. I don't want them judging me if I'm in that ambulance. I want my ears to be clean. Say, you got a problem. Yeah, some say. (laughs) Bothered. Just those little annoyances. Those little things that just bother you. Sometimes you barely notice them, but you're bothered by this thing, and it just annoys you. And not enough to get a response, but you, you bothered is where it rises to the level you begin to notice it. There are probably gnats in here now, maybe. I don't know. It's probably too cold. But let's say we were in the summer. Uh, most of the time, you're talking, you're conversing. You don't even notice it. But at some point, there's something that gets a hold of you in your life, whether it's a conversation, an action, a behavior, or that little buzzing thing that Timmy does that you feel bothered. It is one of the lowest rungs of anger that there is. It's got your attention, and it bugs you, just slightly. The next thing is is when we get irritated. Irritation is, uh, the best way I can explain irritation is you ever got a little pebble in your shoe, you're walking along, and you can feel it. It's annoying. Uh, You try to get it between your big toe and your second toe and kind of get it in that little uh, Uh, little notch in there so you can sort of keep it in there so that it doesn't bug you too bad or sometimes I can get it to the back of my shoe so it's behind my heel and it doesn't work uh, it doesn't bother me so bad but inevitably when you when you walk that thing moves around and you can feel that little thing and it irritates you the difference between bothered is a lot of times we can get away from it but an irritation you're stuck with Irritated skin, irritated eyes, irritated uh, uh, feeling in your foot, in your shoe. It continues. It's there. So a little bit different than just being bothered, that irritation, it tends to grow, and it's there, and it's continual. We're still talking about anger. The third step of anger uh, is when you get annoyed. This is where it's beyond the stage of 
uh, bothered and irritated, it just annoys you. It tends to be constant. You know, you, you're, you're trying to listen to your favorite station and there's just static and it keeps annoying you and it's, you can't really fix it and it's, you just want to hear what they've got to say or you love the song that they're singing, but you get annoyed because that thing just doesn't work just right or uh, it's constant. So we're raising a level higher and higher. After annoyance is, is indignation, and this is where indignation, anyone ever heard of the term righteous indignation? Indignation is where your ethical and moral system starts to engage. The ethical moral system in you begins to be engaged because now you, you're watching something and it becomes an indignate, you become indignant about it because there's something wrong about what's happening. Because your moral lens is not happy with what you're seeing. Someone may make a statement. Someone's tone may be off. Someone may be doing something that you don't particularly care for and you don't think is right. And so your moral judgment centers. And by the way, you have a judgment center for every single thing that you have ever been exposed to. You have an opinion about it. You have a moral judgment about it. You have a feeling about it, and we judge all the things that come across us in our life. That's good. That's bad. I don't care for this. That's okay. I don't like that. That's too green. That's too bright. She talks too much. He doesn't talk enough. We have all kinds of these moral, ethical things that drive every decision that we have in our life. Did you ever think about it that way? You've got that are always there guiding what you feel, how you think, and what you do. They happen behind the scenes, so we don't even have to think about it, but just think about when somebody, have you ever heard somebody say one thing and immediately you feel this reaction inside of you where you feel your blood pressure go up or your heartbeat, or you feel this feeling where it's like, no, I don't care for that. That wasn't right. I don't like that. It's because you've been triggered in your brain. Your moral, ethical judgment system has been engaged. And for some reason, you don't like what just happened. And so all these things happen automatically. Now I want to talk about frustration, which is number five. Frustration is the highest level of anger... that is socially acceptable. And what I mean by that is, how many of you have ever got frustrated, let's say, at Walmart at the service counter? Or at the BMV? Or calling AT&T the other day to try to make my phone not transfer everybody to uh, voicemail without me picking it up, and I was on the phone for 90 minutes? Uh, I was frustrated. Because the woman was, I was calling some of you, and you were all working. And the woman kept saying, you need to keep calling people that will answer the phone. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm home on this Monday, and everybody's working. And she's like, well, I can't fix your problem until you can get somebody to pick up the phone. So I'm calling people, and I'm trying to get a hold of people. And it was frustrating. And her voice was infuriating. And the first uh, first couple of minutes that I listened to her, uh, by the end of the 90 min- minutes, I knew Hindi. I'll just put it that way. Six, 
you're infuriated. Now, the reason why frustration is socially acceptable is we all recognize it. We all experience it. We've all faced it on a phone call, at a service desk, at the BMV, at, at the, uh, you go to do something at the, at the post office, and they're like, that's not the right stamp. That's not the right this. The box is too small. And you're like, I can't keep track of all this stuff. That's your guys' business. Well, right behind you, ma'am, is the box you need, and it's $27.99. Well, I've got a shoebox at home that was free. I could have brought that, but I didn't know. It's frustrating. We all recognize that, and so it's socially acceptable. But the next one is when we get infuriated, and this is where the face begins to turn red and the voice begins to escalate, and then that's where people start putting their children behind them and we start backing away because it's like, this is not right. This is escalating. This person is about ready to go postal. But see, all of these are levels of anger. And when I get done with this, I'm going to explain to you, it is not when people reach, uh, I'm now at number six and we're going to go to 10 uh, very quickly, but it's not when people get to seven, eight, nine, ten 10 that the most damage happens. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Seven, people begin to be hostile. They begin to be hostile towards you, their attitude, their disposition, their words, their behaviors. You walk into work and you can feel. How many of you have ever walked into a place where you can feel the cloud of hostility against you for some reason? How come we can feel that? Is there hostility that's being beamed through the air? Or is it just we're aware of people's glances and feelings and the fact that you walk in the room and then suddenly everybody quits talking? And you can feel that pushed out towards you. I believe we all have some level of discernment, be it just the intuition of watching people's expressions or whatever, or is there something that's transferred? I'm not drunk, I promise. It's my sciatica. I always thought people, I always, I always knew you were getting old when you started complaining about your sciatica, so here of late my sciatica has been really bothering me. And when I turn the wrong way, I like flobble around like one of those little weebles that wobbles, but it doesn't fall down. Hostility. People become hostile toward one another. Attitudes are escalated. 120 beats per minute. Write this down on your paper. 120 beats per minute. The average crime of passion happens when the heart rate goes above 120 beats per minute. Psychology is really interesting. Why, you ask? Well, I'll tell you, since you ask. The body has something in it called the fear-flight response system. It protects us. It's kept us alive. When you see the elephant charging towards you, you don't use this part of your brain, which is where the big hard drive and computer is, that goes, gee, there's a big elephant. Actually, there's 10 of them racing towards me. What should I do? Um, well, they're going to be here in about 10 seconds. Let's see. Um, well, maybe I could just hide behind this bush and they won't see me. And when they run over the top of me, none of their feet will trample me. Or maybe if I just walk slightly like to the left, 
they'll go this way. No, what happens is your heart rate escalates very quickly and your fight, flight, fear response system kicks into gear and you begin to run like there is nobody's business. Because you don't need the big brain to reason through all this stuff. You need the back of your brain where all the instincts are to get you to head stage left. How many of you have ever been on the highway and a car starts veering towards you on an icy road? You don't think about what you're going to do. Most people yell Jesus and turn the wheel one way or the other to try to escape the car that's coming towards you. That's not a time to reason through what you're going to do. You just instinctively do what you're supposed to do. Fighters, gymnasts, practice that routine over and over and over and over again. And to when you see them tumbling on that mat or you see those guys boxing and and in a second, they've got their hand up or their hand down and they deliver the knockout blow. It's not because they're thinking about it. It's because they have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And they can anticipate that other guys move to the point where they know that when he does this, then this starts to happen so I can come up here and I can win the game. The brain is an amazing, amazing organ that God created for us. Hostility, wrath, this is where violence, nine, fury, ten, rage, all of these things portray the different stages of anger. But here's the thing I want to talk to you tonight about. It's not the last five that get us. It's number one. Something bothers us. We get bothered. This person bothers us. That situation bothers us. Maybe we get annoyed here. We get annoyed there. We're all, just imagine a pressure cooker. Pressure cooker cooks by, you slowly raise the heat up, and you don't let the steam escape, and so the pressure begins to build. When I was a little kid, the pressure cookers of that day had no safety on them whatsoever. They were atomic bombs that sat in your kitchen. I remember going with my mom to different ladies that she knew in the church, and there would be big red blotches on the ceiling above the stove. And I remember saying to my mom, why is there red all over the stove, all over the the ceiling? It was like, oh, she was canning tomato sauce, and she let the pressure get high, and it blew up, and it blew all the tomato sauce on the roof. Imagine if you'd been standing there. You wouldn't have been canning any more tomato sauce, I don't believe. But how did that pressure build? They started off slow. Anger is not always where you're triggered to level 10. Anger is when those little things of life begin to build and simmer. And they add up. And so that pressure cooker eventually will pop, not because it's filled with 10s and 9s and 8s and 7s, but because it's filled with ones and twos and ones and twos and ones and twos and ones and threes and ones and ones. Because we've got to learn that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. It is the little annoyances of life that get into us. And my dad used to say this, and I don't know exactly what it means, but it's when stuff gets in your craw. I know what a crawfish is, so I don't maybe it has something to do with a crawfish. I don't know. But it's when those things begin to build in us 
And then one day you just lose it. And you're like, how did I get here? How did I lose my composure and my self-control and my witness and my testimony? Because here's what happens. We are created in the image of God, correct? What did God do when he first demonstrated his massive creative power over all the universe? He spoke. That's why we are created in the image of God, because there is no other thing in the universe besides God and human beings that create things from their mouth by the spoken word. Follow me. The way I'm teaching this tonight, I've taught this a couple of times before, but never this way. This is unique. Not because I'm purposely trying to be unique, but just because my brain does what it does, just like yours does. And when we speak things into existence, we create. The Bible says out of the mouth comes life or death. And so it is important for us to realize that when we are working with people, especially the saints of God, the Bible tells us again, how shall men know that you are my disciples, but by your love one towards another? How do you practice self-control? How do you practice being kind? Start with the most annoying saint in the church and let God build character in you. I know I'm being a little silly, but it's the truth. If you can love your brother who is annoying that you can see, then you can deal with pretty much anything. Tim, I think it's uh, I think it's John that talks about if you cannot love your brother, if you cannot love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you have not seen? And guess what? God brings in whosoever he, that He wills. It's not our decision who sits on this pew. It's God's decision. And sometimes He brings challenging people and personalities. But we have got to experience the love of God through self-control and making sure that the root of our life doesn't affect our fruit so that when we approach one another, it is with love and joy and meekness and kindness and temperance and self-control. I don't know why we don't teach this more and more in the church because I see people in the house of God that are mean-spirited to each other. Not, not, this church is a wonderful church. This is, this is for growth and improvement. This is not to pick on anybody. But we all have our moments when we're not filled with the best love and the best joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance, and self-control. But that's what determines whether we're children of God or not. And if my root is corrupted by bitterness, anger, anger over I don't have what someone else has in life, or I have these bills, or I have all these things that are coming up against me, and this is not fair. Well, guess what? Life is not fair, nor is it supposed to be. Uh, I mentioned this one time, and I I, I got in a little trouble because I didn't explain it very well. Not in trouble, but somebody thought I was saying God picked on people, but God is, the Bible tells us that God is just, doesn't really talk about his fairness because fairness means that everybody gets the same thing, the same portion, the same everything. 
that, I've never seen that happen. How come the eldest son got a double portion? Is that fair to the younger son? Well, if you think about the fact that the older son had to take care of his widowed mother, he deserved more. He needed more. To our carnal, carnal eyes, it doesn't seem fair, but to God, it's just. God is just, and he's faithful, and he's loving, but sometimes bad things happen to good people that doesn't appear fair. It doesn't mean that God is out there pushing the button of judgment for you. It's like Oprah, car for you, and a car for you, and a car for you, and a Volkswagen with 300,000 miles for you. God doesn't work that way either. But sometimes life is not pleasant to many of us. And it's a tendency in us sometimes that we blame God for what in fact is just life. It's just life. I have a situation at work right now that is driving me bonkers. When I got hired, you will work no weekends. We promise. (laughs) So uh, as we begin to hire more and more people, my boss decided that he was going to make deals with people. Well, you can come work for us if you don't have to work weekends. So he hired, if he comes after you, I'm going to, tell, I'm going to talk bad about you. He hired two pastors that are therapists. Well, guess what day they don't get to work? Big guess. Yeah, yeah, I wish. So guess who gets to work Sundays? Me. And I was the one hired that you don't work weekends. So we got a new guy that just started yesterday. I was like, oh, so excited. Because there's two of us that work Sunday, so we're splitting every other day. So I walked in, and I was talking to him today, and I generally have a poker face for everything. If you tell me I win a million dollars, I'm going to look like this. If you tell me my dog died, I'm going to probably look like this. But today, my face didn't look like this. I think it looks something like, we hired a new guy. Well, my boss did. And today he said, oh, yeah. He said, I work 10-hour shifts. And I went, he said, yeah, I don't work weekends. I work Tuesday through Friday. And I went, Oh, that's nice. And so my boss called me just before we left work, and uh, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, wasn't I? But we had a little discussion. And I hope we're going to work it out. Otherwise, I'm quitting my job. Because I have never worked Sundays in my life. Is that fair to me? It's life. I don't have this feeling in my, in my head that he's got a master plan to hurt me. I just think that stuff happens. There could be the devil involved in this because he's trying to make war with the saints. I do believe in that. But it could be just that he's not thinking about it and because he, he doesn't think about stuff like that. And so I'm going to advocate for myself. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to stand up for yourself without getting angry. 
without losing your credibility. You can stand up for yourself and not lose your credibility. And I did today, and I will continue to do so, or I will make a decision with the help of the Lord because the days of the coming of the Son of Man are close. When you see the days shortening, it just seems like it was, we just started church here and there was a Christmas banquet and that was two years ago, maybe? One? It just goes so quick. It's like you have a child and then you look down and they're wanting $10 to go to camp. When did that happen? And then they want 100000 to get married, and it's like, no way. Sorry. You can go elope. We live in a world where time is just ticking away, and yet we've got to learn the discipline of allowing God to help us lower our expectations. Listen to me. We have so many expectations about what we expect from people, places, things, and life that we get ourselves bothered way too much over all kinds of things that don't have a kingdom value to them. And before you know it, the root of bitterness comes in, the crock pot blows, and you've caused damage in someone's life. Learn that God has called us with a holy calling and that our job is despite the unfairness of life despite the chaos of people, that we've got to work and live above reproach. The only way we can fill these pews is when people annoy you to no end. I'm not saying to stay there and take it. I'm saying get away, walk away, compose yourself, keep yourself under control, Don't let so many things bother you because one of these days, the crockpot will blow. It's not the wrath. It's not the fury. It's being bothered and annoyed and frustrated by all the things that just happened because life is. We knew a young man. He had a car that had $400,000 on it, uh, 400,000 miles on it. He came to Melissa and I, he said, please pray. I said, okay. What about? He said, my car has $400,000 on it and it's not acting right. I knew him well enough that I could speak my mind and I said, I'm not praying for that. I said, I'll pray that God helps you get another car, but it's fortunate it has $400,000 on it. Cars break. I don't think the devil's anywhere near that. I think it's just wore out. We blame the devil for way too much stuff. But it's a good excuse because then you can be a victim. I'm not going to be a victim to anybody. Anything, any person, I refuse to be a victim. I may be a victim for a moment, but the next moment I choose whether I'm going to remain the victim or I'm going to use the opportunity to do something good for God. Could we stand? Going back to men, the quality that that does for men is that men tend to be, just look at 
jobs that men tend to take. Bricklayers. You know how, what percentage of bricklayers are women? 1%. Why? It's a hard, tedious, monotonous job that pays very well. That doesn't appeal to most women. If it weren't for men, cities would be built. If it weren't for the nature of women, God help our children. All of the qualities that God put in us are by design and they're there to benefit the family, the culture, but yet sometimes we get annoyed. You spent 10 hours making a wreath on the front door and he walks in and doesn't even notice it and you're mad. He doesn't notice those kind of things. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It just means he didn't notice it. Take him outside and show it to him. I shouldn't have to if he loved me. Well, you're going to have a fun marriage. That's all I'm going to tell you. Because I don't know what you know. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you want unless you tell me. Now, God knows everything, but he chose ask and shall be given seek you shall find knock and it shall be opened why did he ask us to do those three things because if it's given to you freely you won't appreciate it probably but if you have to work for it knock for it ask for it seek for it then we have a tendency to further enjoy it and appreciate what God's done for us. What's your root tonight? Is it pure and clean? Is it digging deep into the goodness and mercies of God or is it riddled with bitterness, anger? Tonight's a good place to start thinking about those things and let God change who you are because he's coming. Could you lift your hands with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We know that you're coming. Help us be ready, Lord. Help our roots be pure and clean. Help our fruit be bright. Help our lives be testimonies of your goodness. God, we thank you. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name.